turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. To get a complimentary copy of Dave's book and a complimentary consultation, call 877-GAINS-4-U or mortagefinancial.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Welcome indeed. Good morning to you. Seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock and we're starting. We're underway. We're ready to go. It's time to rock and or roll on this uh, Tuesday. It's the 20th morning of the month of division in the year of our Lord 2024. Peter Kersenow is going to be joining us here in about uh, an hour. About an hour from now, we'll have a Kersenow Day, which is fantastic. It's always a good day when it's Kersenow Day. But Peter's, Peter is our only guest of the uh, program today, which means you have a lot of time to get in your thoughts, your questions, your comments, whatever it is that's got you fired up this morning uh, to talk with us at 216-901-0945, If you are more the put-your-feet-up-and-listen type of person, too, that's just fine because I've got plenty to say. Uh, so uh, let's just dive right into it with our Pledge of Allegiance, and then we'll get into the news of the morning. Patriots, go ahead and stand, face your flag, put your hand on your heart if you are indeed a believer in the glory and the exceptionalism of this country, if you are an opponent of this country, if you believe in tearing it down, if you believe in letting it be invaded and infiltrated by foreign adversaries with an intent to tear it down from the inside. In other words, if you are a radical leftist Democrat, you are for, exempt from the request to stand and pledge allegiance to this flag. You may instead uh, take a knee like the good little Marxist that you likely identify as. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 
All right, friends, let's start with uh, working our way through just a very, very strong and long litany of very important topics we are going to be discussing today, and then we'll bear uh, drill down on some of these. President Trump does have to come up with around a half a billion dollars, $450 million to be precise, just to be able to file the appeal of his ridiculous $355 million um, uh, fine that he was assessed by Judge Arthur Ingron in one of the most clearly political, partisan, election-interfering trials, it charges, trials, and then verdicts, and then penalties that has ever been seen in American jurisprudence. I think that is fair to say. He's got to come up with $450 million to be able to file the appeal. This is what my friend Dave, who sent me a message yesterday during the show, was talking about. Uh, Dave told me, he said, we need to make sure that he's got the funds just to, to be able to file the appeal. Uh, because you can't do it. That's the way the law works, and I did not know that. This is what happens when you're not a lawyer, but you try to talk law on the radio. You have uh, experts who come in and uh, clarify things for you. I mean, I didn't really say the opposite, but did know this. I was talking yesterday about 75 uh, million voters for Donald Trump uh, all chipping in five bucks. If we all chipped in five bucks, those 75 million who voted for Trump in 2020, um, very simply, you know, we'll have $375 million and he'll be on his way to uh, getting this thing handled. But he needs $450 million just to file the appeal. Um, and so we'll talk more about that. President Trump is getting the support of the truckers. We also talked about this yesterday. We didn't know if it was going to start, how many people were going to be involved, but uh, they have basically made it their mission. And I'm talking about a significant cadre of, of uh, truckers around uh, America who are not going to be delivering loads of their goods to uh, New York City. This is their specific protest. They're refusing to transport their loads uh, to and from New York City after that $355 million fine. They are literally branding this the F around and find out boycott. Uh, they're saying that the New York City of New York and New York State and Letitia James and this corrupt judge, uh, they blanked around and now they get to find out. This is what the... Um, this is what the uh, boycott looks like. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. Meanwhile, President Trump has found another way to raise funds, perhaps for his uh, legal defense, perhaps for his personal wealth, perhaps for his campaign. Who knows? But he's selling shoes. That's right. President Trump has become Al Bundy. He's selling shoes. No, I'm kidding about that part. He's trying to be Michael Jordan because he's selling $400 shoes. They are Quite frankly, they're ugly, but that's going to make them popular because my son has so many ugly athletic shoes, high-top athletic shoes that I just look at. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're actually going out like that? The only thing missing is the green hair and the big red rubber nose because you look like a clown. These things sell, and whoever is advising President Trump on this know that. So they have put out a new exclusive signature brand of shoes um, they were they were uh, debuted on Saturday at SneakerCon, and they were titled the way that only Donald Trump could title them: "The Greatest Sneaker Show on Earth." They're four hundred dollars, three ninety nine. Never surrender high tops is what they're being called. Uh, Victory forty seven uh, uh, is also being sold. It's a it's a brand of Trump cologne, and then there's perfume Victory forty seven for ninety nine dollars a bottle. Uh, yeah, so this is an interesting venture. All I'll say about it is, you know what Donald Trump believes in? Capitalism. If he can find a market for people to buy ugly tennis shoes for $400 a pair and it helps him and his efforts, then it helps all of us, 
I say go for it. Absolutely. If somebody wants to buy the cologne so that you can smell like Donald Trump, if that's what it's supposed to do, and there's a market for it, we believe in capitalism. Go for it. I don't have $400 to buy a pair of shoes. I wouldn't give my kid $400 to buy a pair of shoes. I wouldn't give my kid $200 to buy a pair of shoes. I think the most I've ever spent on a pair of shoes for him at a very weak moment in my life was around $150. But, boy, they love those really, really outlandish athletic shoes. And uh, this might go over huge. In fact, I do believe they said that they kind of sold out very quickly the first uh, um shipment of them, the first manufactured shipment of them, sold out very, very quickly. So good for President Trump, good for capitalism, good for all of us in that regard. Anyway, free speech is not only under attack, free speech may have died. We're going to play a clip for you of um, former uh, Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, who is one of many speaking out about the Michael Mann-Mark Stein trial verdict. Uh, If you don't know anything about this, I'll get into the details later, but Michael Mann is a disgraced former uh, climate researcher. He's the one who fabricated the infamous hockey stick model of global warming temperatures. And if you know what a hockey stick looks like, at the bottom it's very flat, and then it just makes that very, very sharp, you know, angled rise very, very quickly, you know, to the handle of the stick. Anyway, uh, that's what he was trying to claim by virtue of his quote-unquote research that global temperatures were flat, 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 and then along come mankind and shoom! Carbon dioxide emissions in the air and all of the other nonsense, greenhouse gases led to this massive spike. It was discredited almost immediately. He filed a lawsuit against one of those who discredited it, including conservative uh, commentator Mark Stein. Mark Stein used to uh, uh, sit in for Rush Limbaugh from time to time, used to be on Fox News a lot. Uh, he's still a conservative commentator and, ho- commentator and host, but you've got to find him in different places. But the point is, he criticized Michael Mann for the junk science that he used to create his hockey stick. Michael Mann said, you can't say that about me, and sued him. A jury just in, guess where? Take a wild stab as to where. That's right, D.C., No conservative ever, ever, ever can get a fair trial, either criminal or civil, in Washington, D.C., which is not joking and exaggerating this. It is 97 to 98% registered Democrats. I mean, it's it's insane. I mean, how could you even do that accidentally? I mean, even if intentionally, I don't know. I mean, if that does that happen organically or it's intentional, how can you manage to take 97% of a population and get them to agree on, on anything? But they all agree on leftism, and there's no conservative, including the J6 political prisoners. Anybody who has come uh, for a trial, civil or criminal, before a jury and a prosecutor and a judge in Washington, D.C., is done, screwed, over, forget about it. So this jury in the Superior Court of the District of Columbia awarded $1 million to Michael Mann because Mark Stein said bad things about his hockey stick. It is literally the death of free speech if this is not overturned. All he did was say this is, is, is ridiculous, uh, did Mark Stein. Uh, he said there is other science that proves this is bogus. Again, it was discredited, but somehow just saying it out loud that this is not, uh, not valid is, is, is defamation according to the left-wing jury. This is a very, very important story. We're going to have some audio for you on that. Uh, We'll have some commentary that I'm going to share with you from Patrick Wood of Citizens for Free Speech. I'm going to share all of that with you uh, coming up in just a bit. Uh, The Lincoln Project advisor 
is demanding that Democrats nationwide stop referring to uh, um, Joe Biden as just being a better choice than Trump. They are demanding that Democrats start calling Biden a great president. He's a great president, historically so. Say it with passion, he says, backed by the conviction that it's true. The man who declared war on American energy right after the last president made America energy independent and literally became a net exporter of energy for the first time in American history, make sure that the guy who killed American energy is called a great president, a guy who took $2 gas prices and made them $5 gas prices, is a great president, a guy who took 1.9% inflation and turned it into 9.5% inflation, is doing a great job, Uh, a guy who took the most controlled border in 45 years and turned it into an absolute free-for-all revolving door uh, and allowed some nearly 10 million illegal aliens into the country in three years, is a historically great president doing a historically great job. A guy who has presided over the worst expansion of violent crime as well as nonviolent crime, such as snatch and grab, in blue cities all over America to the point where people don't feel safe to shop, to the point where stores are closing the doors because they can't turn a profit when everything is being stolen, to the point where gun sales have gone up dramatically because people are afraid that they cannot be protected by police that have been defunded under Joe Biden's watch. Call him a great president, they say. Okay. Let's see how that works out. On a uh, kind of a side-by-side level here, the White House itself is extremely upset upset with the New York Times for not sufficiently sucking up to the octogenarian-in-chief. The White House is extremely upset with the New York Times for publishing stories about Joe Biden's age and his mental faculties. How about that? The first time the New York Times actually practices journalism in news, and the White House is saying, how dare you stop that? What's the matter with you? Don't you realize who we are? Meanwhile, it's working, if, if, if that's what you want to call it, the real truthful journalistic coverage of Joe Biden is is bearing you know it, it's bearing fruit. It's having an impact. Democrats have joined Republicans in now almost overwhelmingly condemning Joe Biden's border response. Nearly eighty percent, no, eighty percent of U.S. adults say the government is doing a very or somewhat bad job of dealing with illegal immigration. When broken down by party, 89% of Republicans are critical of the federal response to illegal aliens in this country and the border policies. 73% of Democrats are. Now, you might say, well, that's not great. 37% of these knuckleheads, or uh, 27% of these knuckleheads, uh, actually think he's doing a good job, and that's true. But still, 73 to 27 is an overwhelming response where even Democrats are critical of Biden in this regard. So that's huge. And we're going to talk about that a little bit as well. Meanwhile, since yesterday was President's Day, we had this headline. Um, Abraham Lincoln voted best U.S. president ever, Donald Trump voted worst. This according to historians in a poll. The 2024 Presidential Greatness Project Expert Survey asks U.S. historians to rank the nation's presidents. More than 150 of them participated in the survey. Lincoln again holds the top spot. Barack Obama checks in at number seventh greatest of all time. 
Joe Biden, 14th historically great president of all time. Donald Trump dead last. According to one of the uh, historians in the survey, quote, Biden's most important achievement may be that he rescued the presidency from Trump. <laughs> so, no, there's no there's no bias here at all. This isn't about historical accuracy, economic performance, uh, crime performance, um, uh, uh, energy. I mean, n- none of the, the traditional and typical models, uh, American, uh, uh, happiness, this, the, the, you know, the scales of American satisfaction and, and so forth. None of those things matter. It's just partisan politics. So I may spend a little bit more time on that. Meanwhile, Joe Biden is going back and forth and back and forth, apparently, on the issue of his gangrene, um, Green New Deal, climate approach, specifically as it pertains to the EVs. You knew that Biden, and I've had guest after guest after guest on this show and on my TV show, Strictly Speaking, who are experts in the area of climate change, climate research, and electric vehicles, talking about what is better or worse for the environment, Uh, the electric vehicles or quote-unquote carbon emissions from internal combustion engines. Um, Biden wanted to uh, increase the number of not increase, but to mandate the number of electric vehicles on America's roads to 50%. 50% of all cars being sold in America must be electric vehicles by 2030. That's six years away. Well, since that time, here is the back and forth of the Biden EV push. Daily Wire, dated February 17th. So this would have been what, Friday? Yeah, right, Friday. Biden administration backing away from aggressive push for electric vehicles as consumer demand remains low. Fox News, dated February 19th yesterday. Biden administration reportedly doubling down on gas car crackdown. Tinkering with the near-term speed of implementation doesn't change the end game, which is to ban new gas-powered cars to the tune of not 50% by 2030. 67% of new car sales must be electric by 2032. Meanwhile, electric vehicles, daily caller, February 19th, same day. Electric vehicles are so unpopular that entire mines are being shut down. Talking about the rare earth mineral mines uh, where they get the nickel and the cobalt and the uh, graphite and the copper and the manganese and, and all of that stuff. Uh, they're shutting down the mines because nobody's buying these things. Electric car dealers, meaning just dealerships that also have electric car, uh, cars, uh, they, are, uh, they are dying. Uh, because they've got just inventory stacked up on top of itself. Nobody wants to buy these things. They're too expensive. They're unreliable. They, uh, their, their range in the winter is brutal. Their, their, you know, batteries shut down and, and cannot get you very far. All of these things, not to mention the value of the car diminishes greatly because the uh, cost of the battery, once it wears out, is, is way higher than what the car will be worth. And so they can't even give them away. They're slashing prices. So that's a huge issue as well and something we're going to have to talk about. Meanwhile, on the border front, Greg Abbott is building a military base near Eagle Pass, Texas. That's the governor of Texas. That's phenomenal. Families in New York are furious as black children are being kicked out of community centers to house Joe Joe Biden's migrants. Meanwhile, Chinese illegal immigration uh, in the United States is up 4,000%. Since 2021, when Biden took over, 
thousand percent. Why do you think that is? If you don't think that is an invasion of a soon-to-be-activated communist Chinese army, then you are deluding yourself. You are delusional. Harvard's professor Roland Fryer says all hell broke loose when his study uh, for found no racial bias in police shootings. Now they want his head, and they have from the moment he published that report. We're going to talk to Kirsten about that. A girls' high school basketball team had to forfeit a game in Massachusetts after three of their players were injured. By whom? Take a wild stab at this one. By a dude playing for the other team. A big, strong, hairy-faced dude playing basketball against girls slammed three of them to the ground at various points of the game. Three girls got hurt. The rest of them said, we don't want to play anymore because we don't want to get hurt. And so they forfeited the game. That's normal. If you think you can avoid the next vir- or the, the uh, next uh, jab by the profit uh, mongers at uh, uh, the pharmaceutical companies, I got bad news for you. You might not be able to avoid it because it might not come in the form of a jab. If you can breathe in and breathe out, you may get vaccinated with whatever RNA they want to give you because it's going to be produced in the form of an inhaler, not one that you have to put in your mouth, but one that may just be dispersed over the population. Not making that up. I will talk about that. And the Kansas City mayor says quit calling those shooters of the Super Bowl parade thugs because that's a racist dog whistle. And Lord knows we don't want to insult the people, the two youths, two youths, who shot and killed one, critically wounded eight, and wounded 22 others in total. Don't you dare disparage them by calling that thuggish behavior. There's your rundown of the stories today. We're going to get into as many of those as we can. We have a personnel show coming or a conversation coming up as well. But you've heard the... Uh You've heard the uh, the menu. You choose. 216. Yes, or a store near you. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, we appreciate you being with us this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. We do have open phone lines for you this hour, and uh, we've got Peter Kirsten out next hour, and then we'll get back to more open lines in the third hour. But I do have some very important information to share. I just ran down the menu. You can uh, choose what you want to order from it. But I'm going to start with free speech because nothing that I just described, anything having to do with the border, anything having to do with the climate, anything having to do with the criticism of Joe Biden or the defense of Donald Trump, Any of those things matter if we are not free to talk about it. And we are watching free speech being killed before our very eyes. Now, this I'm going to file this one under the uh, CFFS uh, banner because I'm working still with uh, Citizens for Free Speech. And uh, my friend Patrick Wood and I did a podcast, a Stand and Deliver podcast last week about this, which you can listen to if you want and go to citizensforfreespeech.org. And we talked about this in some depth. But... um, Nobody went in more in-depth on it than Michelle Bachman, the former uh, congresswoman from Minnesota. She did a uh, discussion on this with uh, former Congressman Steve King as well as uh, Louis Gohmert. And uh, this uh, this is about the Michael Mann, uh, Mark Stein verdict. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm going to play this for you. This is Michelle uh, Bachman talking about what this means for free speech. It is a death knell. If you can't criticize somebody else and say, I disagree with your point of view, or even if it's a scientific um, finding or report, if you can't say, I disagree with your findings, I do not believe that, I think that's wrong, I think there's probably an error in the methodology, whatever it is, 
if you can't criticize it without being taken to court and and sued for a million dollars, then we cannot speak freely at all. I mean, let me let me put it together. I'm going to play this for you, but but listen as, as you listen to this. Understand the the practical application of this for the suppressive, censorious left when it comes to all speech that they don't like. If Mark Stein can get sued and lose a million dollars for criticizing some junk global warming science, at what point will Bob France be sued for saying that Johns Hopkins' doctor is wrong to tell me that men can get pregnant? If I go on the radio and do what Mark Stein did when he broadcast that Michael Mann's uh, data is wrong about global warming and global temperature rises and the hockey stick model, and he gets sued, I mean, what's to stop, you know, Sebastian Gorka from getting sued for a million dollars for for saying that uh, Joe Biden is is absolutely wrong about, I don't know, pick something, about... um, Diversity being being you know uh, the, the the greatest uh, uh, force of of national security in our military, uh, I think he's crazy. I think he's wrong. We're not a stronger military because we have drag queens on battleship decks. No, we're not. Well, you wait a minute. You said something that disagreed with what I said. I'm going to sue you for defamation. And you'd say to yourself, "Come on, Bob, don't be stupid. Nobody's going to sue for defamation over saying I disagree with you about something." Yes, they will, and they will win. This is a potentially landmark decision. Here's Michelle Bachman explaining what happened. Well, succinctly, freedom of speech died today in the D.C. court. This was a shocking decision that just came out. The jurors found Mark Stein and Rand Simberg. They both wrote blog posts that were critical of Michael Mann's hockey stick. The hockey stick was the basis of the IPCC's report on climate change. We have to recognize the context. All of our lives globally are being turned upside down by this green agenda. This is costing nations trillions of dollars. That's why Joe Biden is saying you can't have a natural gas stove anymore. So everything is about to change radically. Well, Mark Stein, 12 years ago, wrote a blog post based on what he was reading. Not all scientists agreed on the conclusions on climate change. So Mark Stein wrote a post that was critical of of the hockey stick that Michael Mann had come up with. It's data showing that temperatures are rising. And there's questions about how Michael Mann got to his conclusions. So Rand Simberg with Competitive Free Enterprise Institute wrote a post. Mark Stein then quoted what Mark Stein, Mark Ransenberg wrote about, and he also said that Michael Mann, it looked like he was fishy with this data, the way that he came about with his conclusions. In other words, these two men gave an opinion. They gave an opinion after they'd read other materials. So this was a First Amendment free speech right to disagree with the conclusions of a climate scientist. So the case that Michael Mann brought in the D.C. court in front of six jurors and four alternates is that Michael Mann, or I'm sorry, that Mark Stein and Rand Sandberg had defamed Michael Mann. Michael Mann has a burden of proof. It's not up to Mark Stein or Rand Sandberg to prove their innocence. It's up to Michael Mann to prove the guilt. Michael Mann failed to prove one 
element of defamation. He failed to prove one cent of damages or any causal tie between these blog posts and any damages that were given. And we just heard that both Rand Simberg was found uh, uh, guilty of defamation and Mark Stein. Rand Simberg had to pay a dollar in compensatory damages, a thousand dollars in punitive damages. There was no evidence for either. Mark Stein was found uh, guilty of defamation, $1 in compensatory damages, a million dollars in punitive damages, while the lawyer for Mark Mann or, or for Michael Mann said that uh, when he talked about Mark Stein, he said, well, Mark Stein used to substitute host for Rush Limbaugh. This is in a D.C. court. He sat in for Dr. Carlson. He sat in for Sean Hannity. And in his final remarks, he said, well, these are climate deniers. And there's also election deniers, just like Donald Trump, to a D.C. court. So they're trying to smear these guys based on the fact that they might be horror of horrors conservatives. And so this jury found both of these two men in violation of defamation, and they were found guilty. This is clearly a free speech, a free speech case, and now all of us are risk, at risk. So if we don't agree with this with the government sponsored view now are we all subject to being uh, brought up on a defamation suit and we lose everything that we own that's what happened today in this dc court it may- i hope that was clear it couldn't be anymore <clears throat> michelle bachman just laid out exactly what happened to mark stein and ransenberg and what happened to them is they dared to give an opinion that was critical of the prevailing government orthodoxy on climate change while being conservative. Does that make sense? You know the old adage of, you know, it's it's dangerous to uh, to be, you know, uh, driving while black because they're going to profile you and they're going to they're going to chase you down and, and and all of these other nonsensible things. This is opining while conservative. If you're a conservative and you're in D.C., and I would dare say in New York City as well, and probably a few other jurisdictions, but if you're a conservative and you dare criticize or condemn a liberal talking point or a liberal person giving the talking point, if you condemn their research, condemn their findings, and just offer your opinion on it, you can now be sued and also found liable for defaming the character of the individual, defamation. You can you can be found liable for that, and and face is you know in this case it was a million dollar fine. This is extraordinary. What is the prevailing government opinion of climate change? Well, that human beings are causing global warming, and that is going to kill people, and it's going to change the planet, and it's going to destroy humanity, and all of this other nonsense, and 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 order to buttress their view of this, they offer junk science from the likes of people like Michael Mann. You heard me. Junk science. Michael Mann and attorneys, your hockey stick has been discredited. Your your research has been debunked. But Mark Stein and Rand Sinberg simply pointed that out. That, that the junk science that was used to create this illusion that these temperatures have spiked so dramatically and it's led to all of this devastation and future devastation and so on and so forth, 
the fact that um, that is the government's position, now you are no longer, according to the outcome of this trial, allowed to say, disagree. No longer allowed to call it what I just did, junk science. Yeah, this is a dare. Junk science is what it is. And I'm going to continue to do shows on this program. I'm going to continue to do shows. As a matter of fact, I've got one coming up. We're going to be recording on Friday, right, Seth? Friday, we're going to have Steve Gorham and Gregory Wrightstone on, and we're going to we're going to tear this thing to living shreds. And I, that's a dare too, because free speech cannot die in this manner. It cannot be killed because the prevailing opinion of the government, which is overwhelmingly leftist, is something that. That, that we don't find to be factual and that we disagree. And even if it is factual, we can say we disagree with it anyway because that's the nature of free speech. You know what's factual? By its very nature, grass is green. That's factual. By its very nature, the sky is blue. I should not be sued for declaring grass to be blue and the sky to be green. If I want to say something that I believe to be my, in my opinion, is right, nobody should be able to sue me for that, even if there is there is a factual basis for the other for the for the opposite point of view. And and as another example, the left gets to say things that are not factual all of the time. And there's no there's no lawsuits over it. Case in point, men can get pregnant. That somebody should sue the next leftist, particularly if they're in a position of authority of any kind, whether they be a government authority like Joe Biden or, you know, a, a senator or congressman or somebody else, or if they're a, a, a scientific or medical authority, if somebody from Johns Hopkins or someplace else says that, yes, men can get pregnant, uh, you ought to be able to sue them for saying something that is completely not true. They're giving their opinion. It's, it's completely counter to fact. Facts matter. And as Ben Shapiro says, they don't care about your feelings. If you say men can get pregnant, if you say a biological male who is born with XY chromosomes, a biological male who is born with testicles and the ability to produce sperm and to impregnate females who are born, by the way, with eggs and the capacity to become pregnant, if you say that those are reversed and the biological female can produce sperm and, and impregnate a, a, a biological male who can somehow somehow carry a child, it, it, this is what they're saying. I got another story, as a matter of fact. I don't know if I have the link pulled up at the moment here, but this is part of the research I was doing last night. There is literally... There is literally a case that has been brought. I, I don't know if I can find it in time here, so I won't try to go down that road right now. But but there is literally a discussion and a debate about breast milk. There's a scientific report, and I, this ought to be the test case about whether or not free speech is dead. There's a scientific report that some lab or some some nut came out with that says that breast milk produced by biological males through the implementation and, I don't know if it's injected, however, of female hormones to try to make them produce milk in their male breasts, their chests. This is why they call it chest feeding, or they try to anyway. That 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 hormone-created cocktail 
is just as healthy for babies, newborn babies, as a mother's breast milk. This is a legitimate story right now. Like I said, I don't have the link in front of me, but I was reading about it last night. I call BS on that. I call that research. I call that uh, that that propaganda. Exactly that. Propaganda and, and false narratives and fake research. According to the precedent that has now been set in the Mark Stein verdict, where he has to pay a million dollars for saying what I just said about this uh, this breast milk story, or men can get pregnant uh, uh, claims and so forth, the same thing. He criticized and condemned the hockey stick global climate research. He got charged at a million dollars. I will have to pay a million dollars by that precedent. If you repeat it, you will be on the hook for a million dollars. Do you understand the depth of this? I mean, I, I can't shout this more loudly. It is extraordinarily important that you understand this. I want to read a couple of lines from Patrick Wood, uh, the founder of Citizens for Free Speech, who wrote about this right after it happened. Climate scientist Michael Mann, inventor of the discredited hockey stick, just won a million-dollar judgment from popular conservative commentator Mark Stein in a U.S. court, effectively criminalizing free speech forever. Mann sued the late Dr. Tim Ball in Canada over his authoritative criticism of the hockey stick. Ball cleaned Mann's clock in a Canada Supreme in the Canada Supreme Court. Uh, Michael Mann and, and Patrick wrote about this too in the global warming activist Michael Mann demands censorship of dissenters case in 2021. Michael Mann of the discredited uh, hockey stick model. His answer to critics like Dr. Tim Ball is to sue them. Now he wants all dissenters forcibly censored and removed from the public discussion. This is how the science is settled by pseudoscience ideologues. Climate alarmists like man cannot stand up to the traditional rigor of scientific debate, so their only defense is to simply shut critics out of the discussion by going into a courtroom. This is why man repeatedly attacked Dr. Ball. Uh, an eminent climate scientist in Canada, man lost his defamation suit against Ball in the British Columbia Supreme Court. That's right. This case was already decided in the British Columbia Supreme Court in 2019. So what did man do? Brought it to an American court. More specifically, the most left-wing American court system in the country, and that's in the nation's capital. By the way, Mann was also held in contempt of court in that Canadian case for his refusal to surrender his data proving his hockey stick model. Why would he withhold the data? Simply because it's fraudulent, which is what Dr. Tim Ball said right all, all along the way. In 2017, another scientific journal wrote about Michael Mann. Penn State climate scientist Michael Hockeystick Mann commits contempt of court in the climate science trial of the century. Prominent alarmist shockingly defies the judge and refuses to surrender any data for open court examination. Only possible outcome, man's humiliation, defeat, and likely criminal investigation in the U.S. The defendant in the libel trial, the 79-year-old Canadian climatologist Dr. Tim Ball, is expected to instruct his British Columbia attorneys to trigger mandatory punitive court sanctions, including a ruling that man did act with criminal intent when using public funds to commit climate data fraud. Man's imminent defeat is set to send shockwaves worldwide when the climate science community, as the outcome within the climate science community, as the outcome will be both a legal and scientific vindication of U.S. President Donald Trump's claims that climate scare stories are a hoax. Patrick then writes, 
I carefully followed the court proceedings because Ball was a personal friend and his case was pivotal in disproving the climate hoax. My conclusion is, inventor of fraudulent temperature hockey stick is humiliated in Canadian court. But Michael Mann is as petulant as he is unrepentant and belligerent. So he brought a case in the U.S. court, as I said, the most left-wing court in America, or system in America, which is in D.C. And last Thursday, a jury... Uh, in the Superior Court of the District of Columbia, ordered $1 million to Michael Mann as a result of another lawsuit started 12 years ago when Mark Stein criticized that hockey stick model. Emboldened by his temporary victory, by the way, Michael Mann said he would be appealing the 2021 decision reached in D.C. Superior Court uh, that held the National Review and Comparative Enterprise Institute not liable for de- defamation in the same inst- inst- incident. He said, this is going to teach people to question climate researchers. Let me hit that last line again. This is going to teach people to not criticize, condemn, or question climate researchers. In other words, you just do what you're told. You just believe what we say. We don't have to provide evidence of it, even when ordered by a court and threatened with contempt. We don't have to provide evidence. But if we tell you that this is the way it is, that men can give birth, that women have penises and can produce sperm, that that children should be able to, to have their bodies mutilated and dissected, before they're old enough to make an informed consent decision, if we tell you that your barbecue grill in your neighbor's SUV is going to kill the planet someday, you just believe it, nod, and, and, and move along. Don't you dare question it or we're coming for you. That just happened. Of all the stories that I've got for you that are disturbing and concerning, and there are plenty what they're doing to Trump in terms of the lawfare and trying to uh, create this election interference to stop him, uh, to the immigration issues, to the crime, every single thing that we talk about, none of it is, is more important. I'll phrase it that way. None of it is more important than this case and the criminalization of free speech in America. Because if we don't have free speech, we can't say anything about all of the other stuff. We can't say anything about illegal immigration, about rampant crime, about uh, uh, you know energy, uh, the the war on energy, and about inflation and everything. If we can't speak freely to criticize that which is worthy of criticism, then we lose the country. I can't be more clear, more direct, and more emphatic about this. And I hope you will share this information. Um, let's get a quick call in from Charlie before the top of the hour. Charlie, go ahead. Thank you. You know, I was thinking before you brought it up, you know, uh, uh, they had a, a video of John McCain about, you know, they brought it out yesterday on MSNBC and said, oh, he's out there saying the free press is so important. But who Trump brought up several years ago, the press is the enemy of the people. When he first said it, I go, oh, this is, you can't say that, but it's the truth. The mass media is is the enemy. It's a, an arm of the, the leftist globalists. And they are trying to bring it. And I think Trump's the derangement syndrome that they had pulled the curtain back. We see it now for years. We thought maybe the, the, the media was biased, but if it wasn't for these independent podcasters, we would not know the truth. And they are the enemy of the people. They really are. 
They are. They are every bit of that. Thank you, uh, Charlie. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, this is what Peter always talks about when he talks about, uh, you know, the, the, the leftists and the media. He said, well, I repeat myself. And yeah, he does because it is leftist. It is biased. It is indeed trying to control, not just, you know, this is the reality of it. If I can just close with this on this for this hour, they're doing more than just trying to criminalize your speech. They are trying to criminalize your thoughts. What I mean is, if you're not allowed to say and share the the information that you have, uh, whether it's valid information or erroneous information or not, if you're not allowed to speak freely about things, again, falling short of you know threats to kill and, and and the obvious things, you know there are very 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 few limitations in my view on the First Amendment, and of course trying to uh, you know incite uh, violence against somebody and telling somebody to go kill 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 or whatever, uh, very very few things. But but short of that, if 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 they can stop you from saying other things that you want to say, they will eventually stop you from thinking those things. If you're not allowed to express them, you won't think them anymore. This is I'm not I do not believe this to be an exaggeration. I do not believe this to be hyperbolic. I believe it to be accurate that this is thought control. First, we silence your voice, and then since you can't speak and share the information with others and hear them, you eventually stop thinking about it altogether. That's thought control. Tell me I'm wrong, and I'll, if you can make a, a compelling argument, I won't censor you. I won't shut you down, and I won't sue you. Downhallreview.com. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, hour number two is underway on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Appreciate you being with us. Just got a message from a candidate for the Ohio House in District eighty three. He is uh, challenging John Cross. His name is Ty Matthews. John Cross is one of the Blue Twenty Two, otherwise known as the Trans Dems, Republicans who are in the process of transitioning into Democrats. Cross is a piece of trash. And I'm sorry to say it so directly and bluntly, but after what he pulled last night at a candidate's forum, it was trashy. It was trashy. Uh, Ty Matthews has been endorsed by Ohio Advocates for Medical Freedom, and because medical freedom advocates want choice in as to whether or not you take vaccines and whether or not you take mandated profit shots, John Cross, at a candidate's forum last night, tried to proclaim him as being pro-choice when it comes to abortion, when it comes to matters of life. It was disgusting. It was reprehensible. It is everything you would expect from a phony, fake, conservative piece of garbage. And that's exactly what Cross did yesterday. I have invited John Cross to this program numerous times since he was part of the Gang of 22. He has not come on. He is afraid to talk to anybody that will expose him for what he is. He and the rest of the 22 need to be primaried. Bounce their happy little Dem-supporting aces out of the Ohio. House. 17 of them are running for re-election. All 17 of them need to be primaried out. 
So I'm going to have Ty Matthews on, who's uh, going to talk to us about how it felt to be called a pro-choicer when it comes to abortion, simply because he believes in uh, medical freedom. Just disgusting and reprehensible. Like I said, though, just this, when you lie in bed with Democrats, you probably start to get Democrat venereal diseases. And that's what happened. Cross crawled into bed with Ohio Democrats and came out of it skeevy. Uh, that's, the, that's just who he is now, and that's what he is. So, and of course, that is metaphorically. You do understand the point. All right, uh, we're going to talk to Matthews coming up at eleven uh, ten. But right now, let's uh, welcome our good friend Peter Kersenow back to our program. Kersenow is a Cleveland attorney. He is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He's an author. He's a columnist. He's a law professor. He does just a little bit of everything, and he joins us now on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, Peter. Good morning. How are you? <clears throat> I'm doing pretty well, Bob. Beautiful day in Cleveland. It's bright, uh, a little chilly, but uh, for February, it's pretty nice. All right. Yeah, it is. It is, uh, it is all of those things. So, Peter, um, real quick, before we get into um, the good Harvard professor who did uh, very noble work a few years ago, you and I have talked about that work several times, but now he is coming out and talking about the experiences he had after the fact. And, of course, I'm talking about Roland Fryer. Uh, before we get to there, again, this is a legal question. I know your expertise is in labor law, but... Uh, First Amendment protections. Michael Mann and Mark Stein, did you see the outcome of that tr- uh, that civil trial uh, yeah, that was I did. just announced? Um, I'd like to say Mark is a friend of mine. Not really. I mean, I mean, I've corresponded with Mark. I've I've talked <clears> to him on, on a few occasions. We all know what a. I think he's the most brilliant conservative writer in America today, and that was a travesty. Uh, you know. Mark uh, has had some health hang on, problems. Hang on, hang on a second here, Pete. Hold on. I'm being told I've got a call on the other line from Victor Davis Hanson. Uh, Get out. I, I, no. I, <laughs> that, 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 was, that was a joke because you just called Stein the most brilliant conservative writer in America today, and I think Victor would well, have a word with you. Hanson's the, 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 the most brilliant uh, <laughs> historian, uh, but nobody writes like Stein. Uh, he's funny. Sometimes he can be prescient, very prescient. Um, his book, America Alone, for example, read that and see how prescient he was. But, um, it, you know, was there any surprise the jury was in D.C.? If Right now, what we see in the United States, I'm sorry to say as a lawyer, because, you know, we refrain from any criticism of the bar, but the fact of the matter is it's not a function of the bar. Um, jurisprudence in New York, D.C., Maybe in Atlanta, I don't know, but it's been so heavily politicized that, uh, it, you know, it was a travesty what happened with Mark Stein, but I can't say it was a big surprise. Yeah, well, I can't say it's a big surprise either because of where it happened. It's in D.C., and it is, you know, the swamp, the cesspool, the 97, 98% uh, Democrat uh, District of Columbia. That's what your juries are going to be like. And literally, the prosecutor, or not prosecutor, the uh, the uh, plaintiffs in the case uh, argued that because Mark Stein filled in for Rush Limbaugh and Mark Stein filled in for Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson and so on and so forth, clearly, um, you know, he's a, he's a danger because he's like the election deniers just like Donald Trump, because he's a climate science denier. They use that in their arguments, Peter. And and the left-wing jury said, well, then clearly, you know, he doesn't have a right to condemn and criticize uh, Michael Mann's hockey stick. Uh, so, so you know, there there is no such thing as free speech. It might not be a surprise to you, Peter, but I hope it is uh, alarming to you because it is terrifying to me if they say that we're not allowed to give our opinions about somebody else's research if we disagree with it without losing a million dollars like Mike, Mark Stein just did. We're done. We're done. Yeah. I mean, the literal now, remember, First Amendment is over, then we're over. 
Yeah, whenever uh, the old thing about if um, a Democrat <laughs> or a progressive is accusing you of something, that's precisely what they're doing. Yeah. And we keep hearing about threats to democracy, but throughout the country we see Democrats as being the greatest threats to democracy. We see these show trials, these these ridiculous trials in Atlanta, in New York, with Mark Stein. It's it's extraordinary what's happening. If you have the wrong letter after your name, that is an R, they will come after you and they politicize what's extraordinary and it's it should be disqualifying. It should be it should be repugnant to every lawyer out there, regardless of where in the political spectrum you stand. Because if if a conservative attorney general did what Letitia James did, I would be appalled. I, you know, I would I would do everything I could to work against that person to denounce that person. But they specifically. De- tell you who they're going after, and then they find some way of going after that person. This is precisely what the Founding Fathers said, no, you can't do this stuff. This is precisely what tens of millions of immigrants try to escape from in coming to the United States of America, and yet we're seeing it in so many different places. Yes, it's applied in the most visible way to Donald Trump, somebody who despite his, you know, uh, millions, still has a little bit of a, a problem, you know, keeping up with all this stuff. It costs him money. But could you imagine if it was an ordinary person, somebody yeah. who didn't have his profile, somebody who didn't have his billions of dollars, that person would be utterly crushed, just like we saw with the January 6th defendants. These folks are being crushed. Their livelihoods are being extinguished. And we're seeing this happening all across the country. And invariably, despite what the corrupt mainstream, uh, corrupt is too nice a term, these folks don't even have brain cells. Despite what they're telling you, the threat to democracy, the threat to our systems of governance come almost exclusively from the left, and it's coming in frightening ways. We're seeing it all across the country, and it needs, you know, um, one of the reasons why I think so many people look to Donald Trump for all his faults, but, uh, you know, look, I can overcome faults. If somebody said, I'm not electing a prom date, I'm electing a president. But the fact of the matter is, Donald Trump is one of the few people that can put a stop to this. He's identified it, and that's why he is public enemy number one, as far as the mainstream press is concerned, as far as the Democratic Party is concerned. But I repeat myself. Yeah, 100%, uh, Peter. And uh, there's no one, no one who is going to be immune from this if this uh, if this verdict in D.C. Is, is, is not overturned. No one is going to be able to. Right. And like you said, if we don't have the resources to defend ourselves, we are just literally going to be silenced. And if we are, if our voices are silenced, we're going to stop thinking about these things since we're not allowed to talk about them. And that, to me, is thought control. I don't think there's any it's 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 I don't think that's exaggerative. I think it's real. All right, Peter, Um, let's move on to this. You and I have talked over the course of the last few years about the very extraordinarily important study uh, that was done in 2016 by a professor at Harvard named Roland Fryer. This was in the midst of the, you know, this, of course, was after, uh, what, Freddie, Freddie Brown and after Trayvon mm-hmm. Martin. And, and, of course, the narrative from the left was that, um, you know, young unarmed black males are being shot and killed by police at extraordinary rates, and, uh, and, it, and they're being targeted because they're black. So this professor set out to prove that, and it's important that we talk about yeah. the goal here, he wanted to prove that's true, so he did a very, very detailed statistical analysis of, of um, racial bias in policing. He chose Houston as his model, and the study that he did shocked him and the world when he found that police were more than twice as likely 
to manhandle, beat, or use some other kind of non-fatal force against blacks and Hispanics than against people of other races, but that officers were 23.8% less likely to shoot at blacks, 8.5% less likely to shoot at Hispanics than they were to shoot at whites. He said basically that the data proved no racial differences in officer-involved shootings were evident. And when he did so, he just now did a sit-down with Barry Weiss uh, to talk about what happened to him afterward, Peter. And he said all hell broke loose. Right. His colleagues yeah. came for him and everyone else came for him, daring him, or not daring him, telling him, don't publish the data or you're going to lose your career. How dare you bring truth to a, to challenge, it's the same thing we just talked about with Mark Stein. He dared to challenge the prevailing orthodoxy about climate change and about temperatures. This guy dared to challenge the prevailing orthodoxy that cops are racist who like to shoot black guys. Right. And the person who was the primary attacker was Claudine Gay. What goes around coming is just incredible. It really is. And what uh, Roland was doing was something similar to what Heather McDonald has done. And that is, he was an apostate when it came to this narrative that somehow, you know, we saw with respect to, you know, the General Giant and Freddie Gray and all these others. Mm-hmm. We are, oh, and, uh, you know, we're always George Floyd. We're told that somehow this is emblematic of what's going on, and just the opposite is true. All of the credible data, and there are no studies that refute this, all the credible data show that especially white cops are less likely to shoot black suspects. Well, uh, I used to have the data in front of me, and I can't remember. I think black cops, for example, are something like anywhere from three to seven times. It's, it's a, it, I know that's a big variance, but it was a huge number. Yeah. More likely... Mm-hmm to shoot a black suspect than white cops are. And, you know, the, the rationale, everybody out there listening to me knows immediately why that is. White cops are petrified of what's going to happen to them if they shoot a black male. That black male could be out there, you know, mowing down, people down with an M16, and he's still going to be reticent to do so because he doesn't want to end up like uh, Darren Wilson. or We know we can go down the litany of cops who've been uh, subjected to this. But anyway, getting back to Roland Fryer, he was black. That is, you know, you cannot do something like that. Heather McDonald, that's one thing. Yeah, she's just a, a white conservative. Roland Fryer, as you said, he's one of them. And he honestly came up with the data. And when he did so, Claudine Gay and others went after him tooth and nail because you can't let the truth come out. Right now, what we've got, I've said this on your show a number of times, and many others have said it much more eloquently, but the left controls virtually every major institution, but Frankly, educational establishment is their primary province. They control it up and down, and they control the philosophy undergirding it. They control the narrative undergirding it. And the narrative is that um, America is a racist country. That's what they teach. Mm-hmm. It's always been a racist country. The racism hasn't really abated. Almost every institution's imbued with racism, and almost every negative outcome or disparate outcome between blacks and whites, or blacks, it, it whites, every race, almost every... Um, distinction is the result of racism or historical racism. And if you depart from that narrative, then they'll come after you uh, big time. I mean, I know that because I depart from it. And we looked at this, or I wanted to look at this at the Civil Rights Commission, but of course got locked down completely by the the, uh, 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 liberal commissioners. They don't want to address it. It's peculiar. 
they they try to tell you that the evidence is clear that there's no argument about this is it's it's been proven it's settled science is settled but whenever you whenever you say hey let's take a, a look at this they don't want to visit at all so that's what you're going to find on every campus at the civil rights commission at the department of justice they don't disturb the narrative the false utterly false narrative that they've been perpetuating for years because it it is a um, a restraint on their ability to expand government and the way they do that is say we need more government to rectify these disparities yeah i think that's uh that's exactly right and uh you know peter i, I i'm following the racial component of this to a, a, a more current story now because this is about not about cops or excuse me uh african americans being shot but when when african americans do the shooting it it's in it's another narrative here and i'm sure you saw what happened at the super bowl parade in which two shooters have been arrested and charged uh killed one person eight in critical condition 22 wounded overall and the authorities will not release their names or any identifying information, including their races. But we know what their races are because of this. Kansas City, Missouri, Democrat Mayor Quentin Lucas condemned the Republican governor of Missouri's description of the shooting suspects, uh, arguing that calling them thugs is a racist dog whistle. So apparently they must be black youths, probably gang members to have fired that many rounds uh, and caught so many people in the crossfire. But we don't know and we won't know because it is apparently the policy of the press to not uh, release the names or identification of, of suspects that are under the age of 18. Peter, I've got two problems with this that I want you to help me sort through. Number one. How come we all knew Kyle Rittenhouse's name two seconds after yeah, Kyle Rittenhouse's right. situation? How come we knew Nick Sandman's name, who smirked at a Native American uh, who, who banged a drum in his face, and, and he stood there smiling at him, not knowing what to do? We knew his name. He was under 18. They drag young uh, people under 18's names through the mud all the time, but they won't release these two youths' names, or youths, to go to my uh, cousin Vinny, uh, they won't use their names or their identifications because they're under 18. But then the mayor basically told us, yeah, they're black because you called them thugs. And if you call them thugs, that's racist. And we don't want to be mean and we don't want to say anything not nice about shooters who just, uh, you know, took down 23 people, one of them fatally. Uh, yeah, everything you just said there, Bob, every one of your listeners is aware of because this has been going on for 30 years, 40 years now. There was a person killed at the Super Bowl celebration. A person was killed, several people were injured, and we hear from this mayor that it's a problem calling them thugs. That's his primary problem here. This is extraordinary. Everybody listening to this show, I hate to say this, but I'm simply going to say something that everybody knows and everybody, every, everybody understands is true. Every single one of your listeners knew precisely the race of the shooters the moment the press talked about it. Because if they were white, that would be one of the first things we would have heard from the press. When they call them youths or people, we know precisely what we're talking about. It's more likely than not that they're going to be black or maybe Hispanic, but more likely black. Whenever they use those so-called code words, youths, 
You know who they are, and they're not doing anybody any any favors by doing that with respect. Well, the only thing we need to know, the only thing we need to know that they're not white is the fact that they don't identify them at all. Because if they did identify, uh, or excuse me, if they were white, they would identify them in two seconds. You know, two white shooters, uh, you know, uh, wounded twenty two and killed one person at the cancer. It would be, and then they would, of course, immediately start to ascribe motive uh, and wonder what groups they're associated with, what militias, what you know, neo Nazi things, what white supremacist organizations that they belong to. Peter, you know it. I know it. Yeah, and the other group that's protected by the media are transgender shooters. Remember, we've had at least three mass transgender <laughs> shooters out there, and of course, they will not say anything about them. You know, the manifesto of the Tennessee shooter, for example, that was not re- I don't even know if it's been released, but I, you know, they hope you forget about it. But for like, I know eight or nine months it wasn't released. I don't know if it yet's been. It no, it still released. hasn't been released. Been talking about it? There, there have it's been a couple of pages. A couple of pages, Stephen Crowder somehow got like leaked to him. Some somebody leaked a, a couple of pages of it to him, and so we confirmed a few things. But the full release was never made by the authorities, despite it being obviously an extraordinarily important case involving public safety. It should have been released to the media, and they will not do it, Pete. The problem that many problems I've got with it are just the, the sheer mendacity about it. Don't correctly identify a problem or an issue, then you can't correctly identify the problem or issue. And the media is perpetuating this problem along with several other authorities. And I know sometimes the authorities, the cops, for example, are chafing. They want to say it, but their higher-ups are saying, nope, you can't say it. You can't release the manifesto. You can't do this. You can't do that. Uh, you know, I've been on a couple of shows talking about uh, various different shootings when there were uh, black suspects involved, and they were always... You know, uh, uh, you're supposed to pretend as if they didn't have any race whatsoever. We didn't know what it was. When race was pertinent very often to the shooting, there was a racial component to it. And, uh, you know, this is, this is something that the press would have picked up on or possibly even the Department of Justice would have picked up on. But, again, if you're going to be mendacious about this, um, then you're going to have to come up with some other mechanism by which you can address the problem. If you ignore the problem, it's going to perpetuate itself. And that's unfortunately what we're doing. We're perpetuating this problem. And the primary victims of these bugs are usually black people. 99% of the time, oh, yeah. they are the victim. So if you don't identify these folks, the victims are the ones who suffer. Yeah, and 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 by the way, I just a total aside here. I just cannot understand when and where the word thug became uh, synonymous with black. Uh, the last time, I mean, I mean, no, I shouldn't say last time. First time I've ever heard of thugs and hoods were were you know the greasers from the fifties, the ones who would get into uh, chain Bob. and gang fights and uh, you know you know white and then Italian uh, mobsters were called thugs and hoods. Um, Bob, you need to go to woke school. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Thuggery is a behavior, not a color or a characteristic. It's a behavior. That's what thug... 1818. Thank you for finally noticing. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob Frantz and The Answer. Okay, 1036. We do continue now on this Tuesday, and that means it is still a Kersenow day. Let's bring, bring our good friend back on with us, uh, Peter Kersenow from the United States Commission on Civil Rights. A couple of other issues here, Pete, we want to get into illegal immigration and black voters. Uh, I didn't know you were writing uh, a new column for the National Review until you sent it to me right before the show started, so I'm glad to have this in front of me. Why don't you tell everybody what your point uh, and the gist of the story is? Well, a couple of things. Um, first, uh, the... I think the article I sent you, or one of them I sent you, was on illegal immigration and black votes. Mm-hmm. And there have been a number of studies that show that uh, 
you know, Donald Trump is getting as much as 22% of the black vote. That may not sound like a lot, but that's about three times more than black presidential, I'm sorry, that Republican presidential candidates get of the black vote. And it lights out for the Democrats. Democrats, as you've heard me say this a number of times on your show, um, if they get below 88% of the black vote nationally, they can't win a national election. It's an impossibility because they only get about 39% of the white votes. They've got to get an overwhelming um, percentage of a robust black turnout. Even if they get 90% of a black turnout, uh, that there has to be a lot of blacks coming out for them to have a chance, meaning Democrats having a chance to win. So what we're seeing is some, some polling data that shows that um, illegal immigration, especially, is having a significant impact on blacks' view of the Democratic Party, which most people understand is the party of open border, borders and has permitted this unrestrained immigration of tens, well, at least 10 million people coming across. The problem in the, you've probably seen on TV, I'm sure your listeners have seen over the last several months, uh, certain stories on various TV shows about how these various politicals are placing illegal immigrants in black neighborhoods. Uh, they're going to schools that are predominantly black. They're putting them in recreation centers in predominantly black neighborhoods. And blacks are being unceremoniously ushered out. And there's also a battle for resources. I know I've seen myself at least two or three news segments where, like in Chicago or New York, black residents were complaining to, among others, Eric Adams of New York, and I uh, can't remember the Chicago mayor's name, but it's not important. Uh, but And sometimes they'd be just interviewed by TV stations, and they were saying, wait a minute here, um, you know, we're paying taxes, we're doing all this, that, and the other thing, and you're supplanting us with these folks who, first of all, have no right to be here, they're illegal. Number two, they haven't paid any taxes, and they're taking advantage of all these things. You're putting them up in hotels, you're putting them in the recreation centers used by our kids, you're putting them in schools. And so a lot of them are souring on the Democratic politicals who are responsible for this, and we all know it's just Democrats doing it. Now, having said that, huge caveat, as I say in the, the letter, uh, despite the fact that there's palpable damage being done to the black community, more significantly than in the white community from the injection of illegal immigrants. Um, in, I, I've been watching this uh, for 30, 40 years. Uh, we see polling data that shows as if blacks are defecting from Democrats and then come election day and it never materializes. Now, I don't know, this, one, this time may be different. You know, I always keep an open mind about it. Um, History shows that there probably won't be a huge departure, but what's significant about this is that there have been a number of polls now, several of them. Um, one of them was a Wall Street Journal poll that showed, especially among black males, Donald Trump getting 22% of the black vote. And again, that's death. No Democrat can come even close to winning if blacks defect from the Democratic Party in those kinds of numbers. And it can't really defect more than two or three points, let alone 10 to 11 points is what some of the data is showing. Part of that, again, driven by this illegal immigration that everybody cites as the number one issue, but it, it, you know, it's almost like that old thing about you know, uh, meteor to hit earth, blacks and women to be hurt worse, or something of that nature. Well, mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is, illegal immigration does have a disparate impact on blacks because of the competition I talked about. Look, illegal immigrants, uh, as I think it was Stephen Camerata of Summer for, for Integration Studies, he testified about a week and a half ago before Congress, and you know Mark Recorian's group, Center for Immigration Studies, and, sure. 
and Steve Camerot, I mean, they do phenomenal work. And they have the data on this. And they show that, the, and we had a hearing on this, a couple of hearings on this, the impact of legal immigration on black employment levels. And our hearing showed that competition from illegal immigrants drives down wages and employment rates for blacks because blacks and illegal immigrants very often compete in the same markets, in the same um, employment markets, in the same uh, different uh, uh, industry markets. And as a result, that has caused a seven-point, that's significant, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, that's a seven-point drop in black male employment levels and a nine-point wage drop. That's extraordinary. And while many people, nobody's covering this, and some people may not be able to even see the effects directly or have articulated it, those are the facts. And people may not be able to articulate it directly, but there's a sense of what's going on. People know when you know, they've been deprived of a job or are losing a job or their wage rates are being kept artificially low because of competition from people who will work under the table, work for money under the table, or for no benefits. Because legal immigrants, let's face it, they're very, first of all, a lot of them are good workers. Let's give them that. Uh, but more importantly for a lot of employers is that they're not going to be complaining, meaning illegal immigrants, to the Wage and Hour Division of the Department of, of Labor or to the EOC or anybody else like that because they don't want to you know, involve the government because they're illegal. And so for that reason and a whole host of other reasons, they make attractive employment prospects to the detriment of uh, black workers. So that may be part of what's contributing to um, – the decreased enthusiasm among blacks for the Democratic Party, number one, and Joe Biden, number two. Again, I big caveat, though. I've been watching this for 30, 40 years, and every time you hear something like this, there was something similar to this about in, in the year 2000. It never really materializes to any great degree. But if it materializes just a little bit, Democrats go the way of the Whig Party. Well, um, you know, if there is any marginal positive outcome or impact from this uh, open borders policy, you just nailed it. Uh, if 10 million illegals coming in drives a significant portion of the black vote to Republicans, the nation will be in a net better position, uh, and then they can work toward, of course, expelling those who made it happen. Because that's a, that's Wait. the most important part of this thing, too. Is, uh, is, another point. Yeah, another point to that, Bob. You know, you may have seen, for example, Charlemagne the God, for example, has been talking about this I did. in the last. Uh, yeah, and, and others have been talking about this, but um, the the real problem we've got is that uh, first of all, these illegal there's so many of them, but Democrats are going to try to regularize them. So if they may lose black voters, they hope to get more voters among the illegal immigrants. The data shows that 62 percent of naturalized immigrants naturalized immigrants who are more likely to vote Republican than illegal immigrants, 62% still cast their vote for the Democrat Party. So Democrats may be looking at simply replacing blacks who they view as maybe starting to slip away with illegal immigrants. And so that's one of the reasons why they're doing this. And not just voters, Bob. What a lot of people have been missing is it's not so much that illegal immigrants are going to be voting eventually, or even now, illegally for Democrats. It's that the presence of illegal immigrants in certain states give Democrats a boost, even if they do not vote, because the census is based on the number of people. They don't care if you're a citizen or not. And once the census comes out, representative apportionment takes place, so that if you have a million more illegal immigrants in a certain state, that state is going to get more electoral votes, 
and more congressional representatives. And the Democrats figure that's a good way of making sure they lock in an electoral advantage and also lock in an advantage at the House of Representatives or in the Senate. Yeah, and the one one thing that I would say is that... It's a tough road to hoe, isn't it, Pete, for them to actually get these, you know, 20 million or whatever it is legalized to vote? And I'm talking about pathways to citizenship and so forth. Yeah. Um, I know the goal, obviously, but there are, you know, some, some roadblocks to that. It's not like, you know, that's not an executive order type thing. That's going to take a probably supermajority in the Congress to, to say, you know, we're going to grant citizenship to, uh, those who have been here X number of years that don't have a number of crimes committed or whatever, whatever metrics they're going to use to decide who gets citizenship. Even if their goal is to bring in these millions more Democrat voters. And your point about congressional representation is made, they don't even have to be citizens for that as long as they're here. But, but to, to actually make them voters, I, I think I'll take this trade off. I'll take the the majority, not majority, the significant increase of black voters that you just discussed coming over to the Republican Party because they're angry at what the Democrats are doing, uh, you know, and making uh, you know making them compete with these immigrants, illegal immigrants for for their opportunities and so forth. I'll take those guaranteed votes, twenty percent, twenty two percent, or whatever it is, and run the risk of the implementation of some sort of citizenship pass for uh, for the twenty million. Yeah, well said, Bob, and I think you make a very good point. I think I'm a little more skeptical than you are, strangely enough, because I've been watching this for the last 40 years, and uh, I'll just mention one name, Mitch McConnell. Do you trust Mitch McConnell to stand athwart this effort by Democrats uh, to get an electoral advantage? I don't. I think that, you know, we just saw what happened. With- I, 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 I don't either, but I don't know that he holds as much sway as he once did. And I don't think he's going to be there very long. I mean, how many more times does he have to freeze up and have Biden moments uh, before he's gone? I don't know that he necessarily is going to convince enough Republicans, though, to go along with something like that. I agree with you. Mitch yeah, McConnell is a problem, I, yeah. and there are other problems. And you're, you're, you're not wrong to be cynical over the because of what you just said, what you've been watching for 40 years. You're not wrong. You may very well be right. They may pull it off with certain Republican assistance, but it's just I'm kind of thinking short-term versus long-term. And in the short-term, if we can get black voters you know, to really, really realize what's happening with this wide-open border and what it's doing to them and have them vote for Republicans, then we can save the country for the time being. I don't know that we survive another four. I don't know if we survive another four of Biden or Harris or whomever is actually going to do this thing. I don't know. And if we can get black voters to step up right now, they're already eligible to vote. Get enough of them to come over here and hand the power back to the Republicans, Peter, then then we'll deal with the rest later. Yeah, and, and I know that Republican Party officials listen to this show, and I hope they're listening right now because, you know, my pet peeve over the last 30 to 40 years is, where are you? Uh, I live in an all-black neighborhood. I don't see any Republican canvassers, any Republican uh, politicals, none of that stuff. They've completely seeded the black community. And I understand it's a function of how many, re- how much resources do you have, and do you want to expend resources in a futile effort uh, in a black neighborhood? I get all that stuff. You have to apportion available resources. But the fact of the matter is those resources would be well spent because all you need to do is peel off 1%, 2%, 3% of the black vote, and the Democratic Party goes the way of the Whig Party. There you go. Yep, there you go. And that's what it needs to do. Okay, Peter, let's uh, let's stay on the uh, um, border issue for a second, but in a different way. You also uh, reminded me of this article that you wrote back in October for National Review when we're talking about uh, the border issue and the dangers. And you write of the coming terrorist attack on the U.S. soil. And I want to specifically focus on the paragraph that you wrote about China. 
because this is obviously, well, I should say obviously to me, this is the most, excuse me, terrifying part of what we are seeing right now um, uh, with the southern border. We are seeing a massive increase, a massive influx of Chinese immigrants coming across that border. Uh, you wrote about this back in October and the threat that that brings with it. Well, I'm going to fast forward now to yesterday article in the post millennial highlighting the, the 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 percentage of increase peter the number of chinese illegal immigrants who have crossed the southern border since 2021 has skyrocketed by 4000% not 4000 people 4000% fox news bill malugin reporting yesterday recounted well i don't want to get into the specifics i'll just tell you the number 4000% pete they're not coming here to assimilate no. they're not coming here to be american they're coming here to do no, what they're not yeah, to cause problems and, you know, who knows what scale and scope and methods they're going to be using. But the fact is, when I wrote that article back in October, mm-hmm. I got a lot of criticism saying that I was being hysterical or histrionic about it. Oh, no, no, you're, you're, you know, you're just illegal immig- uh, against illegal immigrants and, you know, the Chinese aren't going to be doing anything and all this stuff. Well, Xenophobic, now, probably. Right, exactly. Now you've got credible, as if, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm incredible, but if uh, you get credible <laughs> people saying, hey, here's what's going on here, um, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, and I'm not, to figure out that there's a reason why the Chinese are coming over here, and they're all, as Bill Malugin said, I saw that segment, mm-hmm. military age males. They're not coming over with any family. They're not coming over with children, any of that uh, stuff. And they're not looking for, you know, people say, what are you doing? They're not looking for jobs. One of the, one of the other articles I wrote, by the way, is there are at least 300 Chinese-sponsored illegal um, marijuana farms in the United States. You say, what's the big deal about that? Well, first of all, they're Chinese-sponsored. Number two is that they, these, um, this form of marijuana is not your grandfather's marijuana. It is very, very damaging from a health perspective, from a mental perspective, all kinds of other things. And it's part of the long march plan on the part of the Chinese that they've spelled out. They believe they don't have to fire a single shot to take us over. And they're doing it very gradually. Now, we've got thousands of military-age male Chinese. Now, think about that. This is the most, meaning China, the most totalitarian and repressive regime on the face of the earth. You don't leave that place unless people want you to leave. Or put it this way, even if you got out of there, people would know exactly where you are because of the surveillance state they have there. So when thousands all of a sudden start coming across the southern border, and then they disappear into the heartland of America, now, what innocent reason is there? Are, are they here because they want to, you know, I, I don't know what, what, what's, what explanation is the Biden administration coming? There's a reason why nations have borders, for God's sake, and we have completely erased it. And smarter people than Biden, which means 99% of the world, understand the opportunity that that presents. And also remember that so much of the world wishes us ill. And since China is our principal adversary, the presumption of any reasonable homeland security official would be that they're here to do a strategic and tactical harm. Um, you don't have to be a you know a political thrill, thriller novelist to come up with this stuff. Even Christopher Wray, as dense as he is, figured it out and had to testify before Congress that, yeah, we've got a little bit of an issue here. I don't trust any of our officials right now 
to do the right thing. I don't, I don't think that they're competent to do so. I hate to say that. Now, for all those people out there who I know, there are FBI agents out there, there are law enforcement individuals out there, especially on the local level, who are phenomenal people who do do their job, who understand the threats, who wave their arms constantly and say, you know that I'm not referring to you guys. But when you talk about the leadership structure, there's inertia at play, there is sticking your head, head into the sand at play, and there's also the political ideology that is reprehensible among the top leadership of, frankly, not just the Democratic Party, but many within the Republican Party who thinks that there's nothing wrong here. I'll make my money, I'll benefit as a result of this, I'll say nice things so I look like I'm a very open and magnanimous person, and hell with the United States of America. I talk to people regularly, Bob, Part of it's because I'm on your show, but the second part is because I'm in the Civil Rights Commission. People write me letters from prison, even. Um, emails, phone calls, and they, to a, it's amazing how there's been a shift in the last 10 years, especially, of people who really think that the folks in Washington or in leadership positions do not care about America at all. That's why the America First phrase resonates so much, because we see almost on a daily basis evidence that people in leadership positions, not just in politics, but in business, especially in academia and other places, they're among the elites. They go to Davos. They do all these things. They don't think that they're going to be impacted by their ridiculous decisions, their dangerous decisions, and the rest of us are here holding the bag. That's why I think that you're having a little bit more of a grassroots movement uh, from a lot of people. Let me just back up. Whatever you think about Donald Trump, and again, a lot of people have problems with him, and we know why he has problems with him. But one of the reasons why he's under such assault is because the other side recognizes, and by that I mean Democrats, but also our adversaries around the world, recognize that he is the greatest threat to their continued hegemony. He's the greatest threat to their, um, their agenda, and he will stand firm. So when I look at what's happening with Donald Trump... That's, he is a stand-in for America. Donald Trump in New York, I'm trying to figure out why this is, I mean, this is, uh, you know, a bill of attainment or what happened there, this $355 million judgment, Article 1, Section 9 of the Constitution. It says specifically that, you know, you don't go after, you don't confiscate. The problem was the Brits would confiscate people's property and money as punishment for political speech. That's why we had Article 1, Section 9. That's precisely what they're doing to Donald Trump. This is the most extraordinary thing we've ever seen. An attorney general announces that they're going after a specific person. It's like... Not for a crime. Not for a crime. She didn't identify. We're going to we're going to solve this crime that we knew committed. We you know we saw that was committed. No, no, no. What you just said is important. I want to double down on that or or, or underscore that. She said we're going to get him on something. I'm going to target Donald Trump. We're going to take him down. She did not have a crime that she was going to promise to investigate. She had a man that she was going to find a crime you know that he committed or or that she can fabricate here. That's so important to know. And for your listeners out there who are erudite on this, and those who read my novels, they will know that Lavrenti Berea, one of the most dangerous men ever to trod the face of the earth, used to say, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. He would find a way of getting that person, and that's what's happening here. Talk to your Eastern European immigrants. They will tell you this is what they escaped from. This is precisely, do not go down this path. We've seen this movie before, and it's extraordinary what we're having here. This is something as close to a uh, bill of attainder 
that you will ever find going after a specific person in $355 million. There has been no harm to anybody, none whatsoever. The people with whom Donald Trump was doing business with, with said we want to do business with him again. This is the most extraordinary. Well, the harm is going to be done. The harm is going to be done to residents of New York City who aren't going to be able to get any goods or services there because there is yep. a huge boycott that is being put on by so. uh, by truckers, and I do too. I hope it is effective. Peter Kirsten, a terrific uh, job. And by the way, he needs to come up with half a tr- uh, half a billion dollars, rather, just to appeal, just to appeal that verdict and that award. So, uh, yeah, the battle that Trump is facing right now is enormous, and hopefully, he's got a lot. Trump of is every one of us. He's every one of us. Well, that's why. That's why what I said yesterday, Peter, was that we need to start a movement. If every person who voted for him in in twenty twenty, which is around seventy five million strong, just donated five bucks to Trump, uh, send him five bucks. If we all did that, that's three hundred seventy five million dollars. It covers his judgment, or it gets him into the appeal phase, or whatever it is we've got to do. But we can indeed support him because you're right. Right now, he is representative of all Americans who want to be, have the right to, uh, you know, to to be treated fairly in our court system, and he is not. I am Spartacus. Yeah, there you go. Uh, there you go. So am I. Thank you, Peter Kirsten. I appreciate it. All right, that's Kirsten now. It's 1057. We'll take a time out here. we got a lot more for you. Uh, an Ohio house race heats up with some... Any screen, free, 24-7. Find everything you need to know at snc.tv. That's snc.tv. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. I just got one of those chills up the spine. It's weird. It just, you know, we play that at the start of the third hour every single day. Um, so I hear it five times a week, that, that portion of that Reagan speech there. And sometimes it just goes, you know, uh, goes in one ear and I listen to it and I'm like, okay, I've heard it before a million times. Other times it just hits me and it gives you that little chill, that kind of hairs on the back of your neck thing standing up with inspiration. And that's what I just got. I got one of those. Welcome. Hour number three. is That's why I play it, by the way. That's why I give you a, a dose of Reagan at the top of each hour um, because it's just an inspirational thing unlike anything else, quite frankly. Uh, nine minutes after 11 o'clock on this Tuesday, the 20th morning of the month of division in the year of our Lord, 2024. So thanks, by the way, to Peter Kersenow. Phenomenal, phenomenal coverage of so many important issues there. If you missed... Commissioner Peter Kersenow in the uh, last hour. You can always catch it uh, on the podcast page after the show. About an hour after the show ends, it'll be posted at whkradio.com. I want to pivot to something now. Um, 
we have spent a lot of time over the course of the last year now talking about the quote-unquote blue 22, talking about the 22 trans-democrats. Now, and again, there's some dispute about this. I've been calling them trans-democrats. 22 Republicans who basically went against their own word and their own oath to support the winner of the Ohio Republican Party State House Caucus to be Speaker. You know, they had their own vote. Uh, whoever won the Republican caucus vote was going to get the unanimous support of the entire caucus to be Speaker of the House, and we all know what happened. It was Derek Maron, uh, but Derek Maron apparently was too conservative, and the, and the Democrats didn't like that, and neither did Jason Stevens, uh, who is a rhino of the first order. Uh, and so they conspired. 22 Democrats uh, joined with, or excuse me, 22 of the Republicans joined with the Democrats to elect Jason Stevens as Speaker of the Ohio House. Uh, what did the Democrats get in return? We've started to see a lot of those returns over the course of uh, uh, this past year, not the least of which is his refusal, Stevens' refusal, to bring Senate Bill 83, which is the anti-DEI initiative in Ohio colleges and universities, up for a House vote. Even though it passed the Senate overwhelmingly, passed out of the House uh, committee, Stevens won't let it come up. This is clearly a nod to his Democrats who uh, supported him. Well, those 22 trans-Democrats... And I've been calling them trans-Democrats because the Republicans clearly transitioning into Democrats. But it's been brought to my attention that the better phrasing might be trans-Republicans. In other words, maybe they were actual biological slash ideological Democrats from the start, and they're transing, they're pretending to be, they're doing dress-up and pretending to be Republicans. I can see an argument both ways. Either way, way, what we do know is those 22 are liars and cheats, and they went back on their oath to support the uh, would-be speaker, which was Derek Maron. And uh, so there are no, no conservatives. One of them is John Cross. John Cross is the House representative for District 83, which is Finley in uh, kind of central Ohio uh, area, uh, meaning east to west, not north and south. But at any rate, John Cross is being primaried by a challenger named Ty Matthews for his spot on, uh, uh, on in the Ohio House and representing District 83. Automatically, I'm going to support and favor the challenger, even if I don't know much about him, because I know what John Cross is. John Cross, like the other 21, are traitors to conservatism, traitors to their own oath, traitors to their own party, traitors to what the people of Ohio put them there for, which is to govern like conservative Republicans. It's why they gave them a supermajority, not to govern like Democrats. So I already have an axe to grind with John Cross for being one of the Blue 22 or the Gang of 22, the Trans Dems or Trans Republicans, whatever you want to call them. But last night put me over the top. Last night there was a candidates forum that was held in District 83. John Cross and Ty Matthews were there, and they were discussing, at this particular point that I'm about to play for you, they were discussing the endorsement of the Ohio Right to Life organization on matters of, you know, pro-life. John Cross, uh, well, I'm just going to let it speak for itself. This is what trans Republicans do. This is what uh, members of the Blue 22 do. They lie, they cheat, and they steal. They don't know anything else. Get up. Again, I would then ask the Ohio Right to Life endorsement. This is uh, Ty Matthews, the challenger of John Cross, and uh, we'll get to John Cross in a moment. I would ask my opponent, why is he not endorsed by the local party? 
the, excuse me, the local Right to Life crowd. I have the endorsement of the Ohio Right to Life Coalition with the support of the local Right to Life Coalition. So yes, we can tout our endorsements, and I'm proud to tout my endorsements, and I'm sure you're going to be very impressed with one coming down the road. But again, I'm not here to talk endorsements. I'm here to talk about how we can serve the community, and I'm proud to have my community endorsements with these value-driven organizations. Well, Chris, let me now here comes the uh, here comes the trans uh, uh, trans Republican John Cross. Let me explain something on the endorsement. The Ohio Right to Life organization they've endorsed in some races two candidates, both the incumbent and the non-incumbent. In this race, I think he's my opponent's not being very truthful. They did not endorse my opponent in this race because of his statements that he made on medical freedom. There's a document that was floating around about how he is for choice. He is for medical choice. And, and that doesn't sound like a very pro-life statement to me. So, so I'm not familiar with the local chapters. I, I'm I could stop it right here and tell you that's it. I, I want to go after John Cross with everything and anything that I have. That is one of the most disingenuous, disgusting, Democrat-style attacks that I have ever heard. Saying that Ty Matthews is for medical choice, that means he's like pro-choice, you know, as in when it comes to abortion. That's what he implied. The only local chapter I know is there's a local Toledo, Ohio Right to Life chapter. There is no Hancock County, Ohio Right to Life chapter. But the state organization has made a clear difference between me being the pro-life candidate who has supported the heartbeat bill, has supported pro-family and pro-adoption legislation, on record, voting, and my point, my opponent putting out pro-choice statements from the Medical Freedom Association, whoever they are, and whatever liberal organization that is. So there's a real difference between who's endorsing who in this race. When it comes to pro-life, we are the pro-life candidate in this race. That's one of the most vile things that I have ever heard. And if you ever needed a reason to never trust a member of the Blue 22, more partic- most particularly John Cross, you have it right there. He just called Ohioans, uh, uh, excuse me, Ohio Advocates for Medical Freedom, a liberal organization that is pro-choice, and linked his opponent Ty Matthews to it on that basis. It is repugnant, it is reprehensible, it is dishonest, it is deceptive, it is everything Democrat. And that's why John Cross has got to get the hell out of Columbus. Joining me now is Ty Matthews, primarying John Cross in District 83. Ty, sorry about the extended uh, intro there, but I really wanted everybody to hear what happened last night before I brought you on to speak. Thank you for joining us. How are you? No, Thank you, Bob. And honestly, <laughs> that's what people need to hear. You know, one of my messages throughout this campaign, and some people don't like to hear it, uh, but I'm quite frankly tired of politicians saying one thing and doing another. I mean, who do we trust? <laughs> you have a blatantly an elected official on stage that is being so dishonest with my stances, but also you know where he has stood before. It, it, it's just tremendous, and I think you, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's the tactics of the left. And again, you were talking about the Reagan intro, and I you know I get chills every time I hear that speech, and you know. Before coming on the show, I heard him say, you know, the courage to say, the courage to say. And again, I I think a lot of us that are running against the blue 22, you know, we're kind of in this situation where people are like, oh, yeah, I'd either, you know, I'd rather vote for a ham sandwich than than John Cross. Well, I appreciate that, but I think you need to give kudos for everyone that is stepping up and running against the blue 22 because, man, it is tough to run against an incumbent and it takes a lot of courage and a lot of courage to stand up and actually speak the truth of what's going on. I totally and completely agree. 
and uh, what they are doing right now. And by the way, there is a massive amount of money that is being poured into this that has been greenlit by Speaker Jason Stevens to advertise and campaign for uh, those 22, the 22 who gave him his gavel by partnering with the Democrats. Um, it, it is it is just so dirty and skeevy. It is uh, it's hard to describe. Uh, but what I do know is that we are going to push back against it, and I think there are 17 of the 22 who are running for re-election now, and uh, I'm going to support the primarying of every single one of them. Ty, that means you. That means you in the uh, in this race for District 83. For those who don't know you, tell us who Ty Matthews is. Yeah, and I'll be really quick and concise about that because that's one thing I think politicians. And, uh, you know, Americans need to get back to is there's a lot of fluff out there, you know, trying to convince you that look at me, look at me, look at all the integrity I have, you know, and we, for some reason, take them for their word, right? And there's really no getting down to the core of who these people are. You know, I think we need to start looking at, you know, what drives this person? What's their worldview? What are their foundations? And, you know, Bob, quite frankly, you'll see on my logo, if you look it up, Matthews4Ohio.com, you'll see three stars. And those three stars stand for God, country, and family. Those are the pillars that I live my life by. It's also what I believe this country was founded upon, and that's who I am. You know, faith is the foundation where I've developed my worldview. I'm a patriot. I love this country. I love my community. And I believe that we can do better not only here in the 83rd District but across the state when you see this political maneuvering of this, <laughs> again, this blatant dishonesty. It's it's leading to this just climate in our our state and again, country where it's trusting institutions at our at an all time low, and that's largely because we elect officials that say one thing and they do another. They appoint people to these other institutions that are also untrustworthy because they make these political deals that we see behind closed doors. So my campaign and who I am, you know, I'm <laughs> my worldview is you know I'm a Christian. That's where I gather my basis, my foundation. I'm a small government conservative. You ask me a question on an issue, I typically will say, get the government out of it, let's decrease regulation, and let's give more liberty to the people. Um, we're talking with Ty Matthews. He is a candidate for State House uh, District 83. He's running against uh, Blue 22 and very, very, very dishonest and deceptive, uh, quote-unquote Republican, um, uh, John Cross. So, Ty, the debate that, you know, that was held last night or the candidates forum that led to that little back and forth about endorsements, John Cross said uh, the right to life has endorsed both candidates in a number of races, but not in this race. They've only endorsed me. They didn't endorse endorse Ty Matthews because he represents pro-choice, because he is for medical freedom of choice. When it comes to vaccines, now I know what OAMF is. I know who Stephanie Stock is, who who started and runs this organization. But the reality is, you did not receive the endorsement from Ohio Right to Life. Can you explain why? Yeah, and that is another. <laughs> and thanks for bringing that up, Bob, because it's another extremely dishonest point that my opponent brought up. If you look at all the Ohio Right to Life endorsements, they did not dual endorse in any Blue Twenty Two race. Ohio right to life, and maybe this is a bone to pick on another time. You know, another time here, Bob. They blanketed a endorsement, an endorsement process for all the blue twenty-two. Not one challenger, from my knowledge, received 
an endorsement from the Ohio Right to Life, which I think is completely absurd. You know, that's, again, another topic, not getting too far into that. Uh, but to also, <laughs> you know, we both know Stephanie Stock extremely well. You know, what, what a great advocate we have here in the state of Ohio for not just medical freedom, but also for the pro-life movement. And to even think that the Ohio Advocates for Medical Freedom would be <laughs> I, I, it's just so absurd to me that someone would even portray them to be any type of pro-choice in the pro-life sphere of things. It, it, it's, I, it's beyond me. And again, I think when you look at endorsements, when it's coming to the pro-life movement, the Right to Life Action Coalition is going to, they are going to be the premier pro-life group in Ohio because of this, because they are willing to make the tough calls. They're willing to go against incumbents to truly pick the true pro-life candidate in that race. I want to read, uh, Ty, just to kind of um, uh, underscore your points here. Two things regarding endorsements. Because John Cross chose to paint OAMF, Ohio Advocates for Medical Freedom, as a liberal organization that is pro-choice, not choice when it comes to vaccines, which is what the organization is about, but they're uh, pro-choice when it comes to 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 pro-life issues or or to the the abortion battle. Here's what Executive Director of Cleveland Right to Life, Kate Macra, says about Stephanie Stock, the organization's chief that uh, that uh, has given you an A rating on pro-life issues. Stephanie is a pro-life conservative and passionate and a fierce advocate. I particularly appreciated her creativity and fresh approach to strategy when volunteering with our team to fight the November issue one. I am pleased to express my full and unequivocal support for Stephanie Stock's candidacy for Republican State Central Committee. That doesn't sound like somebody running an organization that is pro-choice when it comes to abortion, when the Right to Life executive director so strongly endorses her. And now to your affiliation with that organization and your support from OAMF, I have this. In response to a question about the endorsement of you, Ty Matthews, or the lack thereof from Ohio Right to Life, um, Mike Gonadakis, the president of Ohio Right to Life, said this. Ty's medical freedom statement to us was apparently used against him and cost him an endorsement with Ohio Right to Life. But Ty is 100% pro-life. He even got the Right to Life RTLAC endorsement, which is, I think, what you were just talking about. And you know how hardcore pro-life you have to be to get that one. Uh, and the, So that was a direct statement from the Right to Life president, Mike Gonadakis, in support of you as a pro-life candidate, even though the Cleveland Right, to, or excuse me, the Ohio Right to Life did not give you an official endorsement. Uh, anything you want to add to that? No, I, I think this is what these organizations are here for, to clarify. But also, you know, this is such a crucial, crucial crossroads, I believe, in our, in our state. And I think this election is extremely important for the integrity of office holders. Are we going to continue to allow this political maneuvering to happen? Are we going to continue to let elected officials to say whatever they want to say? I mean, we saw it last night. You heard the clip, and you can go throughout that whole debate and, uh, and see even more instances of the dishonesty with House Bill 2 and the funding. I think it's time that all organizations that claim to be pro-life, that claim to be conservative, they start stay, taking these tough stands. You know, let's just call it for what it is. You know, I, I think it's political maneuvering. You know, and I appreciate the Ohio Right to Life making that comment. But, again, 
I just simply don't see why I would not receive their endorsement for <laughs> for my pro-life stances that you know we've already laid out. You know, to me, it's a lot of political maneuvering going on. Yeah, well, and it would appear that uh, you know perhaps some of the people um, at Ohio Right to Life did not understand what Ohio advocates for medical freedom were. Uh, perhaps they misunderstood uh, what medical choice means and somehow conflated that with being pro-choice, which of course John Cross intentionally did during that during that uh, event last night. Uh, so, from what I understand, Stephanie and OAMF is asking the Ohio Right to Life organization to reconsider their endorsement now, because we are now, what, uh, yesterday was one month away from the primary. It's March 19th, so there's still plenty of time to get that messaging out there if they do change uh, change that. And I'm going to reach out as well, because I know I'm, I'm the MC for the uh, Bringing America Back to Life convention that is coming up on March 8th and 9th, so I know the Ohio Right to Life people very well, and I'm going to ask them to clarify their remarks and their endorsement issue uh, on this issue as well, uh, because quite clearly you have been, uh, I think, maligned unfairly by your support for giving people the right to choose whether or not they want to take shots and whether or not they want to take experimental shots and put them into their children, um, which is which is what your entire point was with OAMF, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, again, at what point in time do we as Republicans, is it just misinformation? Is it just blatant lies that... <laughs> You have an elected Republican official calling Ohio Advocates for Medical Freedom a liberal organization. <laughs> Just, And that's why I keep saying, you know, it's not because I don't want to present the information. It's because I think we as Americans are just so tired of people saying one thing and doing another. And I really, really urge you know, the listeners, Ohioans, it, Americans to start doing their own homework. You yeah. know, don't just take elected officials' words. Or Again, I'm going through a trend. I've never been a po- called a politician in my life until recently. You know, and now I'm trying to be as self-aware of that title as, hey, you should have skepticism of what I'm telling you. You know, I, you know, if there's any other motivation, and I see this in my opponent, their motivation is to get reelected, and that's it. You know, they're bringing up topics that they could have brought up any time, you know, we've had, listen. We've had a supermajority here in Ohio for the last decade, yeah. And we're now just bringing up some of these topics because it's convenient because it's close to the primary. You know, that's that's what's really happening. And I think we're very naive if we're going to take the current incumbents by their words, saying that they're going to get this done. Well, they're only well, their words, yeah, their words are they know they're, they're in trouble. Their words are, are are trash. They mean nothing because they made a pledge. You know, they gave their word that they would support the winner of the caucus vote, which is Derek Marin, and they did not. So, therefore, their words are absolutely useless right now. No one should ever take anything that they say at face value ever again. Ty Matthews. Candidate for District 83 uh, in the Ohio House, running against Uber Rhino Democrat, trans Republican or trans Democrat, depending on your point of view, John Cross. He's going through a real transition. Ty, thank you for coming on. Uh, I'm glad to expose the uh, uh, the lie for what was what it was last night. We'll continue to tell the truth and wish you the very best of luck on the rest. 1818. Thank you for finally noticing. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always write radio with Bob France on the answer. Okay, final segment. <clears throat> Underway now at AM 1420, The Answer. I hope you are uh, remembering what, we, what we've been talking about with respect to those Ohio House races. 17 of the blue 22 are running for re-election. The others are either not running or termed out or what have you, but 17 of them are in a race. And it is 
beyond important. It is, it is, it is imperative that we as conservatives who do not like what the Democrats have already done in this state by driving that issue one um, abortion on demand and transing of kids on demand down Ohio's throats with a constitutional amendment, the only, the only fail-safe we have is the Ohio legislature, the General Assembly. And if our conservative Republicans, I use that in air quotes, if our conservative Republican supermajority is going to hand power to the, 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 the tiny minority of Democrats that are in the House, then what's the point of having the majority at all? 22 of these rhino you-know-whats joined with the Democrats to essentially give them power. In a, in, a, in a Republican-dominated state, in a Republican-dominated General Assembly. It is imperative that we bounce every single one of these blue 22 uh, rhinos out of Columbus on their ace. Al Catrona, Bill Seitz, Bob Peterson, Bob Young, Brett Hudson-Hillier, all must go. Cindy Abrams. D.J. Swearingen, Don Jones, Gail Pavliga, Haraz Ganbari, all must go. Jason Stevens, Jay Edwards, Gene Schmidt, Jeff LeRae, John Craw, all must go. Kevin Miller, Mike Loichik, Monica Rob Blasdell, Sarah Carruthers, Scott Olslager, Tom Patton, Tracy Richardson. Obviously, Patton is term limited, but all of those who are in fights for their seats against primary challengers must be bounced out. I can't say it more strongly or directly than that. We will not be able to do what needs to be done to protect our kids, to restore sanity to our schools in the state of Ohio, not to mention fiscal responsibility, we will not be, be able to do it if we hand power to the Democrats who, who, who have such a small minority, they can do nothing without Republicans say so. Take those Republicans who gave them say so and bounce them out so we can get back to the business of leading in a way that we as conservative Republicans voted their overwhelming majority of Republicans in to do. Every statewide election, Republican. Majority of the Ohio Supreme Court, Republican, conservative, rather. Uh, obviously, you know, governor, even though it's not much of a choice there, but, you know, Republican. Uh, you know, it, clearly the fact that we went twice for Trump in the last two elections by eight points plus, we're a conservative state, and we gave power. John Cross, Jay Edwards, Jason Stevens, DJ Swear, all of these people gave power to the Democrats over the conservatives. That cannot be allowed to stand. You want to do something right for this state, you help support the primary opponents of all of those individuals. And while I'm not going to do quote-unquote endorsements by name, uh, by saying I endorse this person, that person, person, this person, that person in a race, I will tell you that I endorse getting rid of every one of the blue 22. That's what I endorse. Uh, Vince in Westlake, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Vince, sorry for the delay. Go ahead. No, that's okay, bro. Thank you. Thank you for what you do again. I'm, you bet. I'm scared to death of where we'd be if we didn't have voices like yours. I really am. And uh, 
Speaking of that, uh, real quick, um, you mentioned earlier, uh, which was a great idea. I hope it comes to fruition about if every person that voted for Trump donated five, I say ten, um, to to his campaign to uh, clear this 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 crazy illegal hurdle that's there, um, and we'd, we'd have a really good start. Having said that, I've been in things like before where they're sponsored by WinRed, and you don't know where your money's going. So are you aware of a direct link that we can use? Because I want to contribute. I urge everybody else to contribute to that, this thing that you're talking about. A, a, a direct link that we can contribute.